Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of the Bore You to Sleep podcast. We're going to be listening to Walden or Life in the Woods by Henry David Thoreau. This book I really enjoyed reading. It's published in 1854 and it talks about a gentleman's life in his early 30s. It's interesting to hear how similar some of the themes are that we face today in terms of our daily lives. It's also very good to help you get to sleep. I hope you enjoy it. And if it does help you out, I'd love for you to say hello via the website boyyoutosleep.com and I'd really appreciate if you're able to jump into the podcast app. Before you go to sleep, it will only take 10 seconds. Leave a rating and a review. It helps me reach more people who need to get a good night's sleep. In the meantime, lie back and enjoy the readings. Walden or Life in the Woods by Henry David Thoreau. First section, Economy. When I wrote the following pages, or rather the bulk of them, I lived alone in the woods a mile from any neighbour, in a house which I had built for myself on the shore of Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts, and earned my living by the labour of my hands only. I lived there two years and two months. At present, I am a sojourner in civilised life again. I should not obtrude my affairs so much on the notice of my readers, if very particular inquiries had not been made by my townsmen concerning my mode of life, which some would call impertinent, though they do not appear to me at all impertinent, but considering the circumstances, very natural and pertinent. Some have asked what I got to eat, if I did not feel lonesome, if I was not afraid, and the like. Others have been curious to learn what portion of my income I devoted to charitable purposes, and some who have large families, how many poor children I maintained. I will therefore ask those of my readers who feel no particular interest in me to pardon me if I undertake to answer some of these questions in this book. In most books, the I, or first person, is omitted. In this, it will be retained that, in respect to egotism, is the main difference. We commonly do not remember that it is, after all, always the first person that is speaking. 
I should not talk so much about myself if there were anybody else whom I knew as well. Unfortunately, I am confined to this theme by the narrowness of my experience. Moreover, I, on my side, require of every writer, first or last, a simple and sincere account of his own life, and not merely what he has heard of other men's lives, some such account as he would send to his kindred from a distant land, for if he has lived sincerely, it must have been in a distant land to me. Perhaps these pages are more particularly addressed to poor students. As for the rest of my readers, they will accept such portions as apply to them. I trust that none will stretch the seams in putting on the coat, for it may do good service to him whom it fits. I would fain say something not so much concerning the Chinese and Sandwich Islanders as you who read these pages, who are said to live in New England. Something about your condition, especially your outward condition or circumstances in this world, in this town, what it is, whether it is necessary, that it be as bad as it is, whether it cannot be improved as well as not. I have travelled a good deal in Concord, and everywhere, in shops and offices and fields, the inhabitants have appeared to me to be doing penance in a thousand remarkable ways. What I have heard of Brahmins sitting exposed to four fires and looking in the face of the sun, or hanging suspended with their heads downward over flames or looking at the heavens over their shoulders until it becomes impossible for them to resume their natural position, while from the twist of the neck nothing but liquids can pass into the stomach or dwelling chained for life at the foot of a tree, or measuring with their bodies, like caterpillars, the breadth of vast empires, or standing on one leg on the tops of pillars, even these forms of conscience penance are hardly more incredible and astonishing than the scenes which I daily witness. The twelve labours of Hercules were trifling in my comparison with those which my neighbours have undertaken, for they were only twelve and had an end, but I could never see that these men slew or captured any monster or finished any labour. They have no friend, islers to burn with a hot iron the root of the hydra's head, but as soon as one head is crushed, two spring up. I see young men, my townsmen, 
whose misfortune is to have inherited farms, houses, barns, cattle, and farming tools, for these are more easily acquired than got rid of. Better if they had been born in the open pasture and suckled by a wolf, that they might have seen with clearer eyes what fields they were called to labour in. Who made them serfs of the soil? Why should they eat their sixty acres when man is condemned to eat only his pack of dirt? Why should they begin digging their graves as soon as they are born? They have got to live a man's life, pushing all these things before them and get on as well as they can. How many a poor immortal soul have I met, well nigh crushed and smothered under its load, creeping down the road of life, pushing before it a barn seventy-five feet by forty, its Augean stables never cleansed, and one hundred acres of land, tillage, mowing, pasture, and woodlot. The portionless who struggle with no such unnecessary inherited encumbrances find it labour enough to subdue and cultivate a few cubic feet of flesh. But men labour under a mistake. The better part of the man is soon ploughed into the soil for compost. By a seeming fate, commonly called necessity, they are employed as it takes and as it says in the old book, laying up treasures which moth and rust will corrupt and thieves break through and steal. It is a fool's life, as they will find when they get to the end of it, if not before. It is said that Deucalion and Pyrrha created men by throwing stones over their heads behind them. So much for a blind obedience to a blundering oracle, throwing the stones over their heads behind them and not seeing where they fell. Most men, even in this comparatively free country, through mere ignorance and mistake, are so occupied with the factitious cares and superfluously coarse labours of life that its finer fruits cannot be plucked by them. Their fingers from excessive toil are too clumsy and tremble too much for that. Actually, the labouring man has not leisure for a true integrity day by day. He cannot afford to sustain the manliest relations to men. His labour would be depreciated in the market. He has no time to be anything but a machine. How can he remember, well, his ignorance, which is his growth 
requires, who has so often to use his own knowledge. We should feed and clothe him gratuitously sometimes and recruit him with our cordials before we judge of him. The finest qualities of our nature, like the bloom on fruits, can be preserved only by the most delicate handling. Yet we do not treat ourselves, nor one another, thus tenderly. Some of you, we all know, are poor, find it hard to live, are sometimes, as it were, gasping for breath. I have no doubt that some of you who read this book are unable to pay for all the dinners which you have actually eaten, or for the coats and shoes which are fast wearing, or are already worn out, and have come to this page to spend borrowed or stolen time, robbing your creditors of an hour. It is very evident what mean and sneaking lives many of you live, for my sight has been wedded by experience, always on the limits, trying to get into business and trying to get out of debt. A very ancient slow, called by the Latins, Aeselenium, another's brass for some of their coins, were made of brass, still living and dying, and buried by this other's brass, always promising to pay, promising to pay, tomorrow and dying today, insolvent, seeking to curry favour, to get custom by how many modes, only not state prison offences, lying, flattering, voting, contracting yourselves into a nutshell of civility, or dilating into an atmosphere of thin and vaporous generosity, that you may persuade your neighbour to let you make his shoes or his hat or his coat or his carriage or import his groceries for him, making yourselves sick, that you may lay up something against a sick day, something to be tucked away in an old chest or in a stocking behind the plastering, or more safely, in the brick bank, no matter where, no matter how much or how little. I sometimes wonder that we can be so frivolous. I may almost say, as to attend to the gross but somewhat foreign form of servitude called slavery, there are so many keen and subtle masters that enslave both north and south. It is hard to have a southern overseer. It is worse to have a northern one. But worst of all, when you are a slave driver of yourself. Talk of a divinity in man. 
Look at the teamster on the highway, wending to market by day or night. Does any divinity stir within him? His highest duty to fodder and water his horses. What is his destiny to him compared with the shipping interests? Not he drive for squire make a stir. How godlike, how immortal is he. See how he cowers and sneaks. How vaguely all the day he fears. Not being immortal nor divine. But the slave and prisoner of his own opinion of himself. A fame won by his own deeds. Public opinion is a weak tyrant compared with our own private opinion. What a man thinks of himself, that it is which determines, or rather indicates, his fate. Self-emancipation, even in the West Indian provinces of the fancy and imagination, what Wilberforce is there to bring that about? Think also of the ladies of the land weaving toilet cushions against the last day not to betray too grain an interest in their fates as if you could kill time without injuring eternity. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country, and you have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. There is no play in them, for this comes after the work. But it is a characteristic of wisdom not to do desperate things. When we consider what, to use the words of catechism, is the chief end of man, and what are the true necessaries of life, it appears as if men had been deliberately chosen the common mode of living because they preferred it to any other. Yet they honestly think there is no choice left, but alert and healthy natures remember that the sun rose clear. It is never too late to give up our prejudices. No way of thinking or doing, however ancient, can be trusted without proof. What everybody echoes, or in silence, passes by, as true today, may turn out to be falsehood tomorrow. Mere smoke of opinion, which some had trusted for a cloud that would sprinkle fertilizing rain on their fields. What old people say you cannot do, you try and find that you can. Old deeds for old people 
and new deeds for new. Old people did not know enough once, perchance to fetch fresh fuel to keep the fire a-going. New people put a little dry wood under a pot and are whirled round the globe with the speed of birds in a way to kill old people, as the phrase is. Age is no better, hardly so well qualified for an instructor as youth, for it has not profited so much as it has lost. One may almost doubt if the wisest man has learned anything of absolute value by living. Practically the old have no very important advice to give the young. Their own experience has been so partial, and their lives have been such miserable failures, for private reasons as they must believe, and it may be that they have some faith left which belies that experience, and they are only less young than they were. I have lived some thirty years on this planet, and I have yet to hear the first syllable of valuable or even earnest advice from my seniors. They have told me nothing, and probably cannot tell me anything to that purpose. Here is life, an experiment to a great extent untried by me, but it does not avail me that they have tried it. If I have any experience which I think valuable, I am sure to reflect that this is my mentors. What they said was nothing that I didn't know. One farmer says to me, you cannot live on vegetable food solely, for it furnishes nothing to make bones with, and so he religiously devotes a part of his day to supplying his system with the raw material of bones. Walking all the while, he talks behind his oxen, which, with vegetable-made bones, jerk him and his lumbering plough along in spite of every obstacle. Some things are really necessaries of life in some circles, the most helpless and diseased, which in others are luxuries merely, and in others still are entirely unknown. The whole ground of human life seems to some to have been gone over by their predecessors, both the heights and the valleys, and all things to have been cared for. According to Evelyn, the wise Solomon prescribed ordinances for the very distances of trees, and the Roman praetors have decided how often you may go into your neighbour's land to gather the acorns which fall on it without trespass, and what share belongs to that neighbour. Hippocrates has even left directions how we should cut our nails, that is, 
even with the ends of the fingers, neither shorter nor longer. Undoubtedly, the very tedium and ennui which presumed to have exhausted the variety and the joys of life are as old as Adam. But the man's capacities have never been measured, nor are we to judge of what he can do by any precedence so little has been tried. Whatever have been thy failures, thirdo, be not afflicted, my child, for who shall assign to thee what thou hast left undone? We might try our lives by a thousand simple tests, as for instance, that the sun which ripens my beans illuminates at once a system of earths like ours. If I had remembered this, it would have prevented some mistakes. This was not the light in which I hoed them. The stars are the apexes of the wonderful triangles. What distant and different beings in the various mansions of the universe are contemplating the same one at the same moment. Nature and human life are as various as our several constitutions. Who shall say what prospect life offers to another? Could a great miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for an instant? We should live in all ages of the world in an hour. Hey, in all the world of the ages, history, poetry, mythology. I know of no reading of another's experience so startling and informing as this must be. The greater part of what my neighbours call good I believe in my soul to be bad, and if I repent of anything, it is very likely to be my good behaviour. What demon possessed me that I believed and behaved so well? You may say the wisest thing you can, old man, you who have lived seventy years, not without honour of a kind, I hear an irresistible voice which invites me away from all of that. One generation abandons the enterprises of another like stranded vessels. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you are feeling a little sleepy now. If you are not, please listen to another episode. And I hope you get a good night's rest. I look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Good night.